Uh, tonight, I want to talk about the battle of the bread. I'm going to do this probably every year, and I feel it so strongly. Uh, we haven't put this out to our online uh, people that watch online. We have not let them see this yet. I know that our church has seen this, heard this, but I want to take some time tonight, and just from my heart, I want to open up and talk to you about a massive battle that we are in right now, and that is the battle of the bread. And I'll be talking a whole lot more about this theme of staying connected to Jesus in times of isolation. This is a key tonight, and we have got to fight. If we fight anything, we have got to fight for the bread. And you'll understand this more as we go on tonight, battle of the bread. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And I want to get right into that uh, right now. Where we're going to take as a launching pad is 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 1, 2, and 3. And the Bible says it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his hosts, against Jerusalem, the people of God, and pitched against it. And they built forts against it round about. They literally uh, got around the people of God and they trapped them inside their beautiful, uh, their beautiful uh, area, their city, that all their beautiful walls. They were so safe, they thought. And this is the way that Nebuchadnezzar, the enemy of God's uh, people, decided to conquer uh, God's people. And the city was besieged unto the 11th year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. I want to make sure it's very clear here that the famine prevailed, because that is what a siege will do. It will create a famine, a famine of the necessity of bread. I know that it seems like bread may be insignificant, but when you rely on it to live, it is more valuable than even the battle of swords. Because you can win the battle of swords, but when there's no bread, you can't live. It's serious. And so tonight, I want to take a moment, and I want to talk about that, okay? So if you're standing, you can be seated, and we want to go into this battle, this topic tonight. I think we all realize that um, we are in a battle for, for souls, no doubt. We want to make sure our souls are right with God. I think we know that we're in a battle for our families. There's no doubt about that. We have to fight for our families. And I hope that you can agree with me that we, in order to be successful in our walk with God, we have to fight for it. I think that being casual does not work. I think that if we are just laid back, it does not work. I don't know if you have been around church very long, but I've been around church a long time. And I'll give all of you a little tip that have not been in church a long time. Um, if you ever get in church and you've been in church for a while and you play things like church volleyball or church basketball, you will find out that these peaceful, God-loving, joyful, laughing Christian folks have a fighting side to them. Whenever you call a ball out that they think is in, it is as if the devil has manifested in that place and they are pointing their pitchfork right in your face and everybody loses their mind. And it's crazy how you see people, one side of them is good, they're happy, they're nice, they're crying in church, hugging everybody, which I know we don't do that now, but that's the way it used to be. And the next minute, they're on the volleyball court 
wanting to throw down and fight each other over something as silly as a game. And that tells you right there that deep down people, everybody, no matter who they are, has fight in them. Everybody's got fight. The difference is some people don't fight unless it's the right fight. Uh, You never know who is going to fight when. I've seen people fight over dumb things. I've seen people fight over serious things. All I know is everybody's got fight. Everybody. You should just type it right now on your little phone or your little computer and just say, I've got fight in me. Because I know we all have fight. Confess it right now. You act like you don't want to fight. You act like you're peaceful. But then you got married and you found out that you've got fight. Uh, People got fight and that's why married people can't get along. Because they've got fight in them and they just can't lose. This is the reason why married folks struggle to have joyful, peaceful marriages. Because we don't know how to lose. And so please tonight, don't tell me, don't, don't shrug it off, don't act like it doesn't matter, but you just got to confess right now, online, wherever you are, you've got fight. When the right button gets pushed, you will fight. The thing makes you angry, you'll fight. Push comes to shove, you get cornered, you'll come out that corner and you will fight. Everybody's got fight. Everybody was built with the ability to fight. The question is not can you fight. The question is what will you fight over? That's the question. Everybody fights for dumb things or good things, but you've got to ask yourself what's worth fighting for. We just need to be honest. There are some things that we just don't have right now because we refuse to fight for them. Our financial situation normally is because we just won't fight for it. Our relationship struggles are just because we won't fight for that. We just won't put it first. We won't put the energy into it. And it's the reason why we are losing and the reason why we're not winning because this generation just doesn't have that old-fashioned generation of roll up my sleeves and get dirty and do what it takes to win. That's what it's going to take for us to be winners and victorious, even as Christians. The truth is our culture is soft. It's soft. And that's because men, most men, did not grow up with a strong, strong, effective father. Unfortunately, their dad was gone working, working to make money, but not working to make a family. And there are a lot of people out there have never seen strength with grace. They have not found the fight with all of the favor. They've only seen abuse. They've only seen anger. They've never really seen anybody be angry and sin not. They've never seen anybody really fight and still stay holy at the same time. So a culture has been raised to not have fight. And we've got to get our fight back. We've got to get a conviction back in us that says, I've got to stand up and I've got to fight for what matters. I switch gears now and I take you to a siege history where historians tell us that there is a typical process involved in every siege. I know we don't do it this way anymore. We still surround enemies. We do that, but we don't do it like they did it back in the day, like medieval times. We don't get around them and cut them off because we don't live in cities that are that small. And so it's hard for us today to imagine a siege because we really can't surround Austin. It would take a lot of fencing and a lot of army troops to surround a place like Austin. 
And so in their day, they could surround the cities and they could literally block off any transportation between the place everyone lived and did business and the place everyone got their food from, the field. And so in their day, in our context of Scripture, the enemy king approached Jerusalem and realized very quickly that we cannot stand up against the power of God's people. Just like 2020, the enemy cannot stand up to the power of God's people. It is still true tonight. The devil has no authority over us. The church is a fortress that the enemy cannot penetrate, surrounded by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when all the imps of hell rise up to try to investigate who we are and what we are, they realize very quickly that we are guarded and protected by a host of angels. And there is no way to come into us. There is no way to infiltrate us. They have no powers to fight against us. And it is true for us. It was true for Jerusalem that yes, we are mighty and yes, we are strong. And there's no reason to fear their attacks because they cannot win. Nebuchadnezzar admitted, just like the devil admits, I cannot take them in a forceful battle. I cannot take them at the battle of their gates. I cannot win that battle. They've got too much anointing. They've got too much power. They've got too much name on them. They've got the blood of Jesus on them. If you listen on the inside of the walls, there's going to be shouting. There's going to be victory. There's going to be people that are speaking in tongues. I can't get in there. It's too holy. It's too fired up. It's too powerful. Such as the church should be. It should be a place of great power that no enemy can defeat us. And so what does the enemy do when the reports come back to the general and the reports say, general, we cannot win against these people. They are too mighty as they sit in their mighty fortress. I've been analyzing all day, sir, and I'm sorry to report to you after all of my years of experience, there's no way to win against them. They have too much power. Somebody got smart. I don't know when in history, but somebody figured out a way to win against a mighty city. And the tactic that was used in this context is the same tactic that is still used today by our adversary who was weaker than us. Our adversary knows, just like Nebuchadnezzar knew, that if I can't get into them, the only thing I can do is keep what they need out from getting into them. And so they built a mighty siege. Walls, not necessarily real walls, but walls, blockades of troops and army soldiers that don't allow them to get their materials, to get their, their wheat, to get all the bread that they need, the flour they need to make the bread that was necessity for life. They blocked them from getting to their field. Nebuchadnezzar knew that it's just a waiting game. It's not very pretty. It doesn't make me feel like a big man, but it works. I would much rather probably run over them, but I don't have the power for that. So all I can do is I can sit back and starve them out. Amazing, because the people of God are being besieged, and they're losing, but they don't know they're losing. It doesn't feel like you're losing when you get cut off from the field. 
Because every good city can rely on a few months of provision that they've stored up with camp meetings in the past and all the conferences they've gone to and all the good services they went to. Every good backslider can go a little while with the past sermons and past prayers and mother's prayers and good words and good exciting moments. But over time, what happens when you've been besieged is you begin to look for things and get hungry because you're running out of the things you've stored up. You have no new fresh supply from the field. You are dying, and it doesn't even feel like death. You know, that's what's scary about this is you don't get out and fight because you don't even know you're dying. You say things like, hey, do we still have some storage left over from last year's harvest? Yeah, we got some. Then let's just wait. Maybe they'll leave. Here's what you got to understand about the enemy that sits in the field. The enemy that sits in your field has access to your goods, and he's in no hurry. The devil's got time. He's got time to wait. He's got time to just, just wait a year. He's not in any hurry. It's the only option he's got. He can't fight against us. He can't go over our wall. He can't penetrate our power. The only tool that he has in his arsenal is trying to keep us from getting fresh supplies because he realizes over time we will starve to death. Jerusalem was surrounded for over 365 days. No weapons, no clothing, no friends and family was allowed to move in and out. But most importantly, no bread. Jerusalem had enough walls, armor, weapons, training, clothing, and people. They still had their identity, but their identity was pointless without their bread. The bread is stored in the city, but it's produced in the fields. The city can be protected from the attack of the enemy, but it can't be protected from starvation. Can't protect from that. You can't protect yourself from starvation because starvation is what you do when you're on defense. You wait. You hold out. That's good for a season. But if you are a defense-only Christian, you are a backsliding Christian. Because over time, you will run out of good messages to pull faith from. Over time, you'll run out of all the prayer meetings you've had in your past. Over time, you're going to wear out all the good services and all the anointing and all the emotional feelings that you had. Over time, if you don't get up and get out to that field, you will die. It's going to happen. It does not feel like death, but it's sure. Because you know if you don't get up from where you are and move out to that field and take back the territory that the devil has taken, then you know you will die. It's automatic. It will happen. Look at your supplies. Some of you need to look at your supplies like you're looking at your kitchen right now. You realize you're running out of stuff. What do you do? You count the days. I don't know why we can't count the days as Christians. I don't know why we can't look at the inventory of our lack of prayer lives and our lack of, our lack of Bible study and count the days. 
we have inventory of everything in our life. We keep uh, uh, tabs on our money. We keep tabs on our people. We keep tabs on everything. But what about the inventory of our spiritual health? Why don't we keep inventory of the bread of life? Why don't we keep inventory of what we really need to live with? Our spiritual success is not in a building or a religious ritual. It's in the bread. It's absolutely 100% depending on whether we have bread. The enemy doesn't need to get in to our homes, to our churches. He needs to get the bread out. That's all he's got to do. He's just got to get the bread out. And he knows slowly you'll die a death that doesn't feel like you're under attack. Well, if he come up with a sword, you'd rebuke him in Jesus. Now, I know you would. See, this is why the devil gets further along with us and the enemy wins with us, not pulling out weapons. Because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. If there's no weapon, and if weapons initiate a response in Jesus' name, then why would the enemy bring a weapon and make us fight him? If, if we're not under attack, we won't fight. So the danger of starvation and the danger of a siege is that the church is dying and no one knows. Because we have good church in our castle. You don't even know you're dying, do you? Well, we have good church on Sunday. Well, that's good church, isn't it? I must be healthy. That's not healthy. Eating one meal a week is not healthy. Well, that was an awesome service. Wow. That was a great video I just watched online. I must be spiritual. In fact, I think I might play another video because I like to have bread. That's, that's, not, that's not bread either. Bread is what you get. It's what you go out and get. Bread is your daily walk with God. It's not your special moment that somebody cooks it for you and, and eats it in front of you. Because that's what we're getting on online streaming is we're getting somebody else's bread. We're getting somebody else's walk with God on display. We're getting some other preacher's word. But where's your word at? Where did, when did you get your word? I know I got mine and I'm giving you some, but you can't live off my word. It doesn't work that way. You need to have your own walk with God. You need to have your own prayer life, your own Bible study time. You've got to get out and fight for your bread. You can't keep saying, man, I need a move of God at the church house. That is not what we need more of. We don't need more weapons and, and more buildings and more of these cool things. We need daily bread. That's where the fight, that's where the battle is. It's for the bread. Nobody wants to fight for bread. After working many years in ministry, especially being a younger preacher, there's some topics every young preacher wants to preach about. And when you start off preaching, you don't preach about bread because that's boring. You know what you preach about when you're a young preacher? Sword of the Spirit. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I'm going to cut the devil's head off. I'm a young preacher. I got the anointing on me. No young preacher wants to get out there and preach about eating bread. How do, you, how do you energize a church on that? When you're young, you want to preach about stuff like the whole armor of God. You want to preach on deflecting the fiery darts of the enemy. That's what you want to preach when you're a young evangelist. Those are fun topics. 
I love talking about how, how mighty our walls are. Nothing could penetrate the power of the blood of Jesus. And, and I, I love talking about how the devil can't get to us. And I love having that good church. But then, while we're all shouting inside of our big Jerusalem walls and we have our good party on Sunday, we realize on Monday, hey, we got to go back out now. We can't go back out. Why? The enemy's out there. Oh, well, let's just, let's just live off Sunday then. So starting out in ministry, we all are tempted to preach all the fun parts of the Bible. But then I realized something. All that fun preaching and all those fun topics didn't help people every day. Because you don't, let's be honest, you don't throw swords all day long. You don't do that every day. You don't just walk around deflecting darts all day. But you know what you need every day guaranteed? Bread. It is a necessity. And by the way, how can you pick up the sword of the Spirit if you don't eat? My, my, my three-year-old boy can be given a sword and armor, but that doesn't do any good. Like David, he would look at me and say, I can't wear this. It's not for me. We've got people who've been given the sword of the Spirit and the armor of God who can't even lift it because they refuse to read their Bibles. You can't put on armor that's not fit for you. And the only way to get fit to the armor, the armor's not changing. The only way to get fit for the armor is to eat the bread and to grow up in the measure and statue of Christ. The stature of Christ. You have got to eat to grow. The armor doesn't fit the child. The child fits the armor. You've got to eat to fit the armor. Stop trying to make the armor fit how small you are. And you grow up. Eat the bread. You've got to eat daily to grow into the thing that God has for you. Everybody walking around with that, that sword of the Spirit. Can't pick it up. Can't throw it. Can't do anything with it. You like carrying it around. Looks cool when you dance in church, but you can't lift it because you won't get alone with God and read your Bible, and you won't study on your own. You won't eat daily. You won't spend each day just getting strong. Grow into the armor. Grow into the sword so that you can use it, so that you can fight back. After everything we go through, after everything we've been through in church, after everything I've been to, youth camps and conferences and all these great moves of God, there's nothing that will ever top a daily walk with God. Nothing. I've been in some of the most amazing services all my life. I've been changed by those things. But if you never develop a daily, intentional walk with God, feeding yourself spiritually daily, you can't do anything with all those great moments. Those great moments are great. They're powerful, but that's not what we need to live and to fight with. How do you fight with no strength? It doesn't matter if you train someone to fight if they don't have the power to fight. Let's have church training this week. Who wants to be a preacher? Everybody come to church and have an hour seminar. Okay, you want to be a preacher? You want to be a leader? Let me train you how to be one. It doesn't matter if you train people how to be something if you don't have the power to fight the thing you've been trained to fight. That's why we've had people who have been trained that can't do the thing they've been trained to do. Because you can have all the training in the world and if you don't eat daily, you don't have the power to function. Mm. It hit me, I guess years ago, that we have trained a generation to fight. 
but we have never taught them how to eat. Because you can't get everybody excited preaching about bread. I would have got a whole lot more shouts if I was preaching on that sword of the Spirit. But you don't get a lot of people saying amen when you start talking about you should eat bread. How do you make a sermon about eating bread cool? Bread is boring. How do you make something like just daily eating bread? Bread's not a donut. Bread's not cake. Bread's just bread. It's not the cake of life. It's the bread of life. It's simple. It's basic. It's boring. And this generation who likes to take pictures in front of Niagara doesn't like to sit down with just bread moments and walk with God every day because we've been trained. It's got to be big and spectacular if I'm going to have it in my life. But you can't substitute anything for bread. You've got to have it. Jesus Christ, being the bread of life, taught us how to pray. He says in Matthew 6, 9 through 11, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, and most of you can finish it, our daily bread. You know, let me explain it like this. My body eats to stay fueled up and powerful on a daily basis. And I found out that my soul hungers the same way that my body does. There's an amazing connection between our soul and the way it is healthy and the way that our body functions and is healthy. My spiritual supply lines being attacked are my daily Bible study and my prayer times at home. Those are the ins and outs of the city that are under attack. I found out that the correlation is so strong between our body and our soul that we literally get bad attitudes when we don't eat food. If you're married and you know your spouse pretty well and they're having a bad day, you might say something like this. Have you eaten today? You know why? Because to not fuel your body gives you an attitude problem. Now, we can feel that after one day of not eating. One day. One meal. I know people that can't fast one meal. They think they're going to die. I know people that fast a couple meals and they're cranky, like literally have a bad attitude. Do you know what's wrong? Your body needs this and it's telling you, you better give me the fuel I need or you're not going to like me. Now, if this is true with our body, why can we not apply that to our spirit? Do you know why we're not able to function sometimes in the Holy Ghost? Because we don't fill ourselves up with the nutrition daily that our spirit is longing for. That's why Jesus said, give us our daily bread. Daily bread. The enemy has failed to penetrate what happens in the building. 
But marriages begin in the church building, and they end out in the field. Marriages don't end in the building. Marriages end in the field. Babies are dedicated in the church building just to end up backsliding in the field. Commitments are made in the church building, but they're forgotten about in the field. Temptation does not begin in the building. Temptation begins out in the the field. And I want to encourage you and tell you at some point, you're going to come out fighting because you can't keep being this religious person who only is spiritual in certain places, certain times that are convenient, that are easy. It's got to become daily or you will die eventually. Starving is no way to die. It's miserable. It's slow. It's no way to go out. If you're going to go out, you need to go out swinging, go out fighting, go out with everything you've got in you. But do not go out sitting down and not having daily walk with God. Don't go out like that. That's a miserable way to die. You don't have to be in a sword battle with the devil to be losing the fight right now. You just have to be starving right now. Let me explain to you the danger of starving because I don't think we realize how dangerous it is to get hungry. It's very dangerous. Wikipedia actually will tell us what happens in history, real battles of history over the years of how it will work. Most common practice of siege warfare was to lay siege and just wait for the surrender of the enemies inside of their cities. During a siege, a surrounding army would build these earthworks or a line of circumvallation around it to completely encircle their target, preventing food, water, and other supplies from reaching the besieged city. If sufficiently desperate as the siege progressed, defenders and civilians might have been reduced to eating anything vaguely edible. It's amazing what you'll do when you get hungry. They would eat things like their horses. I'm sure it had to be a little sticky. You know, the glue. Yeah. They would eat their, uh, I'm sorry for those of you who love dogs, which is like 80% of America. They would eat their family pets. Hey, do you know what time Fluffy's going to be ready for dinner? Because, I mean, that dog's been in there for two hours. Well, Fluffy was old. Fluffy needs some more time to get Fluffy. Her name was prophetic. Never knew one day we would need to cook Fluffy, make Fluffy Fluffy. They would eat, they would eat their pets. They would even eat leather from shoes. I hope you have good leather. And then at some point, they would even eat each other. No, I'm talking about real life. They would eat each other. They would begin, I hope you're catching this analogy, they would begin to consume each other with the words they say, with the way they fight. How, how, how does that work? I guess you wait till they die or do you hurry and speed the process up? The bottom line is they literally would eat each other because they were so hungry.
And I want to pause for a moment and tell you, don't you ever say, I will never do that. Because if you stopped having a daily walk with God, you are one day closer to doing things you said you'd never do. Because you never, ever can say, I will never eat that until you're starving. You'll eat anything. A starving person will do things that would gross them out today. But when you're starving, it looks like a beautiful meal. It's amazing how your perspective changes when you've gone a few days without praying. You know, I don't like that guy. How come they keep talking? How come you start feeling that anger get up? You feel that old flesh rise up? That's not you. No, you know what? You're right. You're not a hypocrite. You're just hungry. That's not you. That's just you who has not eaten in a long time. The church doesn't have hypocrites. It's got hungry folks. We all have the capacity to swallow each other up. What's wrong with Christians is their inconsistencies. And when the church starts eating daily like Jesus commanded us to eat, we will stop acting so crazy throughout the weekdays. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with church is that we only eat on Sunday and on Wednesday, and that's why we're crazy. That's why one minute we watch the rated R movie, and the next we watch Watch the popular pastor online because we don't eat every day. You know what's inconsistent about us? Not our fighting, not anything else. You know what's inconsistent? Our diets. Our diet's inconsistent. Because it's not flashy, it's not cool, and nobody gets up in front of big crowds and says, don't forget to read your Bible and preach about it for an hour. It's not what this generation wants to hear, but we're also losing too many people to starvation. You want to choke out media? You want to choke out the things you wish you could quit? You want to choke out things you wish you know you shouldn't watch? Here's how you choke it out. Get full on the bread of life and you will no longer desire the things of the world. You want to, you want to choke out the addictions and choke out all the things you think you need and people and, and abuse and substance abuses. You know how to do it? Fill up the temple of the, of the Lord with the Holy Ghost. Fill it up with the Word of God. Fill it up so there's no room in Inside. I promise you, do it daily and give no place to the devil. Eventually, hunger will be unbearable and you will do the unthinkable. You'll open up your gate. The most open people in church are starving people. If you want the power, to stay closed up and protect you and your family and your home. Eat daily. It is the key. Let me mention again, this is important for people watching that don't know if Christians are real or legit. This is important for you, and I hope that you share this with anybody you know that thinks that Christians aren't real. I want to explain something to you about Christianity. We call people hypocrites, and you're right. They look like hypocrites. But can I explain the reason behind it? Can I tell you what the motivation is for their hypocrisy? It's not that they wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be fake. I, I know very little people that are Christian that wake up in the morning and say, how can I fake be a Christian and then act like a devil? That's not the intention. People don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to do it this way because I like tricking everybody. 
No, here's what's wrong with people. What's wrong is, is they only eat on Sundays and Wednesdays. They're inconsistent in their daily prayer, in their daily Bible reading. They're not really legit. They don't do this every day, and that's what's wrong with them. They're just partial Christians. Please don't put us all in the same boat because some of us love Jesus every day. Some of us want to serve him every day. I'm not going to be like the guy who was inconsistent. You've got to stop calling us all the same. We are not all hypocrites. Some of us are simply hungry. And we're eating stuff we shouldn't eat, and it makes us look like fools to you. And you're right. We need to eat better. It would solve a lot of problems. I close tonight by telling you what happened to God's people years before this when they were in the wilderness and they relied only on God for their provision. The Lord had to take care of them, literally. He had to give them food to eat. They were not farming. They did not have a lot of crops. They did not have the animals because they had just been rescued from Egypt. And they come out with their families, what they could carry. They had riches and gold, but they had nothing to eat. They had no water. They had no bread. The Bible says that when they got them out and they got them into this wilderness, which was like a desert, that God decided to supply their provisional needs daily by letting this thing called manna fall from heaven. And every morning, the Bible says that they would get up and they were commanded by Moses, their leader, to go out and gather only what their family needed for that day. If any of you, the commandment said, keep what you get and get extra for tomorrow, whatever you keep overnight will be ruined and have maggots. God, why, why can't we just stock up? That's the big thing right now, isn't it? Stocking up. You know, hoarding is in our nature. Stocking up is in our nature. Everybody wants to stock up. Do you know why we like to stock up on stuff? Because we like to stock up when we don't want to need the thing that we might need next week. I'll think about that one right now. It would be nice if we could stock up on Jesus on Sunday, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if we could come to church, grab all the, the, the stuff from church, and take it home and put it in little baggies that say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because now we've meal prepped. I don't have to get up and pray. I just walk over to the counter, open the bag, shove it down my throat, and I'm good. Wouldn't it be nice if we could not need God but once a week? That would be so convenient, wouldn't it? That way, we could cheat and steal and lie all throughout the week and live like a hypocrite because we won't have to be spiritual but one day a week. But God said, I literally will cause that food to ruin. God said, if I'm going to be your provider in the wilderness and the desert, when you're stuck all by yourself, I'm going to be your daily provision. That means... I'm going to make sure every morning you get up and get just enough for that day. The, the principle is this. 
He's going to be our God every day or not at all. Either he is our provider every morning you get up or not at all. Here's the key to serving the Lord. You get up and before you fight any else, anything else, anybody, for anything, you fight for bread. Because your God will give it to you. He will throw it down from heaven. He will give it to you freely, but he only gives you enough for today. And if you go past that, you're acting like you don't want him tomorrow. And that is not the God that we serve. He's a God that wants to be there for us every day of the week. He said, I'm an ever-present help in the time of need. He doesn't want to just be called on when I run out. He wants to be called on every morning of the day. It's a relationship. He's not just my king. He's my friend. He wants me to get up in the morning and remember that I need him step by step, inch by inch, mile by mile, and I will not make it if I don't have the Lord every day of my life. Stop relying on what you had last night for dinner. Because it does not carry over to the next day. The mistake has been for too long that we had such a good move of God that we can take the day off. When's the last time you went out to eat on Friday night and had the most amazing meal you've ever had and not eaten the next day because it was so good? Y'all think about that now. Some of y'all need, need to stop lying right now because you and I both know that when you eat a big meal, your stomach stretches. And when you wake up the next morning, you're ready for a breakfast. We think that we can stuff ourselves one day and take a day off. And the world calls us hypocrites. And I've come to tell you tonight, we've got to fight for this very boring thing we call daily prayer Bible study. I wish it was cooler than that. I wish I could do better than that. I wish I could bring you something, something amazing and fun and emotional and exciting. But right now, while you're stuck, while you can't do anything, you've got lots of time to make up for all the years that you live one way on Sunday and another on Monday. You know what you've got right now? All you've got right now? Daily bread. You know what you don't have right now? The church service. Right now, God has stripped Jerusalem from us. I'm done preaching, but I'm just going to talk to y'all right now. Jerusalem has fallen. Jerusalem is a symbol of our safety net. Jerusalem is a symbol of where we gather. Jerusalem is a symbol to our culture of Christianity, of the place we come and feel safe. But you know what? Now the battle has to get out of Jerusalem. Now we've got to get out to the field because it's really the field that we've lost in all of the grandeur of our awesome church services. We've traded Sunday power. We've traded Sunday gatherings for daily, daily bread. And God's calling us back to the basics. He is our provider. He is not a provider that does it once and never does it again. He's our daily, every morning provider. We have got to get back to the place we wake up and fight for bread.
Do you know? Do you know what the priests would do? Do you know every morning they'd wake up, it was a command. They would have to stir the fire because there is no sacrifice the rest of the day. If there has no fire that's been taken care of in the morning hours, the first thing the priests did when they woke up in the morning was stir the fire from the previous day because it doesn't matter if something dies. If it dies but has no fire, then it will not go to heaven. You can be dead all you want to, but if there's there's no fire and no prayer life and no Bible study. You're religious. You have no anointing. And the sacrifice is pointless. The sacrifice is in vain. That's why you get up in the morning as the priest of God. You get up and make sure that the fire is still burning because there's not a guarantee that it will be burning all through the next day. First thing you do when you get up is you get the bread and you make sure you've got the bread and you're fighting for the bread because if you lose the bread, you lose the battle. The most important fight is not with your spouse. The most important fight is not with your boss, not with your kids. It's not for your money. It's not for your health. The most important fight is for the bread of life to make sure you eat. Everything's hinging on that first meal of the day. It's your strength. It's your sustenance. It's what's going to keep you going through the day. It's what you'll draw from when you're in the battle. It's what you'll pull from when you're tempted. Make sure you get up and fill yourself up with the bread of Jesus. It's going to be on the ground when you wake up. I promise you, if you want it, my God will supply it. For years, our church, Pentecostal Apostolic Church, has survived persecution. They've been through wars. They've been through all kinds of chaos in this world. And I read the books of our elders from 50 years ago. They didn't have nice buildings. They didn't have padded pews. They didn't have air conditioning or fancy lights or projectors. The only thing they had was an old Bible and a prayer life. And the church was built on bread. The church was not built on power services. The church was not built on conferences. The church was built out in the middle of a field somewhere with a brush arbor and old men who prayed hours a day and they put their book, their face in that book called the Bible and that's how the church has survived. Because when there is no guarantee of a city, a church building, or fancy lights, there's a guarantee that God will give bread. God may not throw down swords from heaven. He may not throw down cool things. He will throw down what you need every single day. Out of all the things God could have given them, he gave them just basic bread. Stop calling bread basic. Because bread is not basic. Not when you have to have it to live, to function, and to fight. So where you are right now in your home or wherever you're at, right now tonight the commitment has to be to get your fight out and fight again for the most important battle you ever fight in your life, and that's going to be every day. There are no vacations from eating. Unless you're fasting, we eat every day. It's a part of our natural function. I don't know why it's not natural for us to have a word of God studied in our hearts every day. It should be like breathing. It should be like a natural part of our functioning day. If my spirit does not get this, I'm going to make room for the enemy. 
I'm going to get hunger for things I don't need. And I'm going to begin a slow fade into a death that I'll never even know is happening. I wonder right now who I'm talking to that you're dying and don't know. It's crazy to think that you could have the coronavirus and not know it. Probably one of the most scary things about it is that you could be a carrier and have no symptoms. But there's another thing you can get to have no symptoms, and that is cut off. Because there's a cutoff virus I'm talking about tonight, and the cutoff virus is one that you don't have any symptoms for. You don't even know you're dying, but you just stopped somewhere along the way having daily devotion. And you think you're going to live off of somebody's video and something online and somebody something said or something you feel, but the truth is it's not going to work that way if you don't dig down and do it yourself. We've got to turn the video cameras off sometimes and turn off the media sometimes. And sometimes we've got to get alone with God and just eat. You've got to eat by yourself with your God. You've got to eat. If we're going to fight a battle, we're going to fight this battle. In the name of Jesus, I pray over every home right now, and I pray that there be response in every home, every house, every person listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, God, you would open up our eyes and lift off the veil that people have been confused about for too long. In the name of Jesus, uh, I believe that right now you're going to help people understand I'm a slow, fading backslider because I live off of services in my past. I live off of moments throughout the week instead of moments throughout the day. God, we don't eat once a week. We eat daily. Bring the church back to the original plan and that is walking with you in the garden, supplying all of our needs. This is the perfect plan of paradise for every one of us. God, I believe this will protect us from hypocrisy. Help us get a good witness to the community. God, I pray, you know we have the capacity to be crazy, but this is going to be a key for us, God, for every church family. We have got to have a personal, daily devotion. When I pray, I I'm going to start praying, give us this day our daily bread. I need it to live. I need it to satisfy me. My emotions are crazy. My mind is wandering. I've got fear everywhere. It's because you're empty, and that space makes room for the enemy to move in and barricade you from your faith. In the name of Jesus, I pray it right now over every home, every life, every father and mother and child. God, bring the church back to the place where you provide the bread and we go out and get it. Nobody has to do it for us. Nobody's got to give it for us. You know, you can't go out and get a basket for your brother. You've got to get your own basket. Moses said, get your own basket. Every man for his family. You can't get a basket for your brother. I hope you hear me right now in the name of Jesus. You cannot get your bread and give it to somebody else. If they don't bag it, they don't get to keep it. In the name of Jesus, help us right now, God, to get out there and get it because you've provided it, God.
every home, every family, every life, God, I cover them right now with a prayer of protection that they would stop they would stop reducing themselves down to eating leather and eating pets and divulging things that they never thought they would do with their free time in the name of Jesus. I can't fix the problem with people's diet until I supplement them with the bread of life. I pray that right now the bread of life would be the number one battle for every home in this nation. It's what everybody needs every day. It's the building blocks of our function, God. In the name of Jesus, we will fight. This is worth fighting for. It's more important than fighting for marriages. It's more important than fighting for money. This is more important than fighting for power. This is the key to everything that we're losing. Potentially, we'll lose. It all boils down to the battle of the bread. You're not taking my field over. The next time I see an enemy in my field, I'm getting out of my comfort zone and I'm attacking full force. Use your sword of the Spirit and use your armor of God to get your field back in the name of Jesus. You want to declare out loud right now wherever you are and say, I'm getting my field back. I'm getting it back for my kids. I'm getting it back for my marriage. It's the first fight in the morning and the most important one in the name of Jesus. I've got to pray without ceasing. I've got to go daily quoting the scriptures in my heart, uh, talking of your word. It's how I live, God. It's how I breathe. It's how I have my being, Lord. Every day I need it to sustain me, protect me, empower me. In the name of Jesus, call us back to that place where we understand we're being literally fed in the spirit. It's going to feel good when you try it again. It's going to feel good when you eat again because you're going to feel strength come in your spirit. Fear is going to leave you. Torment's going to be going away because after a while of eating the right thing, you're going to see it show up in your body, see it show up in your function, see it show up in your fight. It's not overnight, but it will show up in your fight over time. Over time, it will happen. Can I help someone right now? You think you're going to go do a Bible study tomorrow and it's going to change your life. It will not change your life tomorrow. It will change your life for a month. You've got to do this thing for a while before you see results. You can't hear a message like this and have one devotion tomorrow and expect your whole world to be turned upside down. Just like you can't expect some starving child to eat a loaf of bread and it do a lot of good for their muscles. It takes daily walking with God to grow up. This won't work if you don't do this for a long period of time. Well, Pastor, I tried that. No, you just tried it like a snack, like an appetizer. The Bible says that he is a God of bread, not something that you just eat as a dessert, something that you do daily. And in their culture and in their time, bread was a daily part of life, just like it should be for us. I thank you all for watching tonight, and I pray that this will bless you. I pray that this will push you to dig into the Word of God like never before. I pray this will push every home, every person to do everything they can to get out from their comfort zones, from sitting, from wasting time, and filling themselves up with the most powerful, amazing bread of life that Jesus Christ wants to give to every one of us. If you don't know how to study the Bible, there are so many resources to learn how to study the Bible. We have to be careful letting everybody else serve bread to us. We don't know where that bread's been. We've got to get our own bread organically. And you need to learn how to study the Word of God. There's tools out there for that.
We need to learn how to pray and have prayer time. There's ways for you to do that, and we are here to help you. If you need any assistance at all on these things, you can reach out to us. We'll be happy to give you the advice and what you need. And we'll be talking more about that in upcoming videos. We'll try to do some training, especially to our church, on how to study the Word of God. I can do that. We can set that up for you because this is so important right now, teaching people how to go and get the bread for themselves. We love you all. We pray the blessings of God on you. Continue to lift up the ministry, the pastors. We are facing such great pressure, tough choices and difficulties, and we need your prayers desperately. I don't say that lightheartedly. I know that I need it. I feel it for sure. As weeks go on, we need that support to lift us up so we can continue to do the work of God. Thank you for being a support and a help to us in every way possible. We look forward to this weekend. We pray the blessings of God on you all. And if you're a guest joining us tonight, thank you so much for joining us. We're here to help. Please reach out to us through Facebook or through email, through our website, any way that you can, call our office. We want to be a blessing and help people get to Jesus Christ to make sure they're saved. Right now, that's our number one goal. Our job is to help the world. It's hurting. We love you all. Have a great night, and God bless you.